we were coming to understand that the Father uses moments and seasons of brokenness to show us our true condition. We were experiencing what writer and speaker Catherine Wolfe meant when she said, Perhaps some detours aren't detours at all. Perhaps they are actually the path, the picture, the plan. And perhaps, most unexpectedly, they can be perfect. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. It is October, and it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And we have Sally's story today that talks about breast cancer, but also other things. Sally shared her story in our Homewood community, which is a suburb of Birmingham, several months ago, but we saved her story for this month. Absolutely. And while her story is one of breast cancer, it's also really a story of God's timing being perfect, that He is going to provide you exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. You're going to hear her reference something called manna. I love how she does reference that from the Old Testament. But if you're not familiar with what manna is, it just was actually a food that God provided the Israelites when they were in the wilderness, and He just provided enough for that day. And so you're going to hear her reference that. I wanted you to recognize that analogy in relation to her story. Her story is going to encourage you not only in increasing your trust in God's timing, but also in His ability to get you through all of life's trials and sufferings. And Katie and Robin, for our Patreon insiders today, we have a bonus story from Jessica, who is one of our storytellers from Oxford, Mississippi. And her story is about the saving love of God and how He really saved her (laughs) through a difficult time. And you are not going to want to miss this story. So if you're not a Patreon insider, you can go to our show notes right now and click on the link and join and become a Patreon insider. Or you can go to our website at storytellerslive.org. And one thing that we are so excited about this month is we are highlighting the opportunity to become a monthly ministry partner for storytellers. So many of you, we appreciate that you are Patreon insiders, and we know that you love the extra content that you receive. But we have launched a new way to give, and that is through our website. Go to storytellerslive.org again, and you can click on Donate, and we give you the option to just donate any amount that would work for you in order to support our ministry so that more women literally around the world can hear stories of hope found in Jesus. You can make a difference today. Here's Sally. I'm honored and I'm humbled to be a Homewood Storyteller. I once heard it said that a great story makes you feel less alone in the world. My prayer today is that everyone listening will feel seen and known by the one who is writing a much greater story, a story in which he invites all of us to play a role. My story begins some 58 years ago in South Carolina, where where I grew up as one of three girls in a secure home with loving parents. After high school, I attended the University of Georgia, where I met my husband, Ben and I recently celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary. We have two grown sons, Benjamin and Andrew, who live and work in Atlanta. And about a year and a half ago, we gained Brinkley, uh, our beautiful daughter-in-law. I'm an interior designer, and my husband works for ESPN and the SEC Network. Before I tell you the journey I've been on over recent years, I want to reference a story, perhaps one that you've heard about before, from a well-known book called Hind's Feet on High Places. This story is actually an allegory. It's about a young girl named Much Afraid who longs to go to a higher place. She wants to understand the truth of life. To accompany Much Afraid to the high places, she is given two friends. Their names are Sorrow and Suffering. 
Years ago, I remember feeling very uncomfortable and even bristling a bit when a friend shared this story with me. So naturally, I put the book down and I quit reading. That was long before I understood a theology of suffering, which is a consistent theme throughout the Bible. Years later, I decided to give Heinz Feet on High Places a second chance. Interestingly, my second attempt was rather eye-opening. This time, I was captivated by the allegory. Little did I know that just a few days later, my story would come to resemble the path of Much Afraid. Listen along as I read this excerpt of what Much Afraid was thinking in Hind's Feet on High Places. Therefore, I begin to think, my Lord, you purposely allow us to be brought into contact with the bad and evil things that you won't change. Perhaps that is the very reason we are here in this world, where sin and sorrow and suffering and evil abound, so that we may let you teach us so to react to them, that out of them we can create lovely qualities to live forever. That is the only really satisfactory way of dealing with evil, not simply binding it so that it cannot work harm, but whenever possible, overcoming it with good. Just days after reading these words, I went to my yearly GYN appointment. At the age of 53, I had learned to brace myself for these checkups and mammograms. During the exam, I explained to my doctor that the lump, which we were watching in my left breast, seemed larger. Five years prior to this appointment, the mammogram detected something. Fortunately, the something was given a medical name, and I was assured that the lump could not become cancer. So regular mammograms and ultrasounds were all that I needed. However, this time I read concern on the face of my physician as she examined me. The following days and weeks were slow, with grueling waits, numerous tests, insurance delays. And then I heard the dreaded diagnosis, cancer. A large tumor, stage 3, estrogen receptor positive, lymph node involvement. I will never forget that day or that appointment or the diagnosis first spoken by the surgeon. Even though there was a family history of breast cancer, it was actually happening to me. I was stunned and afraid. My husband and I drove home in separate cars. As we exited Hollywood Boulevard, a rainbow spanned over the sky. Back home, we stood in the driveway and cried. For the first time in my life, I could not sleep. Insomnia was uncharted territory since, after all, I was awarded the distinguished honor of best restaurant in kindergarten. (laughs) I remember lying awake night after night with my mind racing of all the possible outcomes. Sleepless nights gave space for reflection and soul searching. I felt incredibly grateful for my marriage, for my boys, for my sisters and parents, for my friends. All that mattered in life became crystal clear. However, fear and uncertainty had entered my world, and there was no way to push them aside. I found myself in conversations with Ben about the what-ifs, and he gave me space to struggle and be sad. My close friends stepped into the sadness. Several of my dearest friends had preceded me in fighting cancer. They instinctively knew what I needed. They spoke into my fears with the perfect combination of wisdom and silliness. They snuck in our house and covered my bathroom mirror with scripture. They delivered coffee and lunch on repeat. They even dressed up like the Tata fairies and pulled me out of bed one night to eat cookies and dance. 
These creative and meaningful gestures are indelibly written on my heart. Wisdom and silliness at its finest. And so the day came to start the treatment. It began with chemotherapy, a mix of enough toxic chemicals to earn the nickname the Red Devil. The chemo knocked me down for days before my body rallied just in time for another round. All of the normal side effects followed, fatigue, nausea, neuropathy, and of course the one that every woman dreads, hair loss. The thought of being diminished by hair loss was daunting, and I hated the idea of being seen bald. I vividly remember a nurse predicting down to the day when my hair would start to fall out. With handfuls of hair, I faced the inevitable and sat down in the tub for my husband to shave my head. This humbling process was a low point, and I hesitated to take my first glance in the mirror. I needed some time alone. And I sat for several hours until the silence was broken by a call from an unrecognized number on my phone. However, when I answered, I heard an unmistakable voice. It was that of my childhood pastor who spoke in a beautiful South African accent. He was calling to pray for me over the phone. I had not spoken to this precious man for years since he had long since retired. Having heard of my cancer, he had been prompted by God to reach out. It was as if God himself had come down to speak words of comfort to my fragile heart. I sat at my desk and wept with both sorrow and gratitude. This was the first of many tangible reminders that he sees, he knows, he forgets not. While there is no way to soften the harshness of chemo, I eventually settled into a predictable pattern of anticipating my good days and bad days. However, the plot thickened one Saturday morning in early November after I was nearly three months into my treatment. My husband, who had been my number one encourager, decided that our leaf-covered yard needed a little attention. While I heard the gas-powered blower, it never occurred to me that Ben might tackle the leaves filling the gutters. After hearing a loud thud overhead, I walked outside. To my disbelief, I found my husband lying in a pool of gasoline with his mangled body crumpled underneath him. Time stood still. I tried to compute that Ben had fallen 20 feet from the roof onto the concrete driveway. When I found him, his first words were, I'm sorry, Sally. Ben was completely coherent and realized that our situation had just gotten more complicated. Our precious across-the-street neighbors came to my rescue Years before we purchased the home, a previous homeowner had fallen from the roof in the same spot. The neighbors at my side were the same ones who helped the previous wife when she lost her husband to the fall. It was more than I could take in, but I recognized that my neighbors were literally the hands and feet of Jesus extended for me. He sees, he knows, he forgets not. Ben was still repeating the words, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Sally, when the EMTs arrived. I remember the words of grace that one of them spoke to my husband. Listen, buddy, she knows you're sorry. There's no one on this driveway who lives free of regret. Wow, how kind. But what was Ben thinking when he approached our steep roof? Don't we pay someone to clean the gutters? (laughs) I remember trying to reconcile Ben's actions with our new reality. By God's Spirit alive in me, I was able to say, 
while I'm not a threat to climb on the roof with a blower strapped to my back, when I get in my car, I'm usually fiddling with my phone and putting on lipstick and drinking coffee and trying to run a business and not paying attention. We all have our places that we push the envelope of safety and good judgment. I knew that extending forgiveness to Ben and seeking oneness for him were the only way we would survive the days ahead. Miraculously, there were no spinal cord or head injuries, and I've often wondered if the shattered blower cushioned Ben's fall. Because my immunities were low from chemo, I could not spend time at the hospital. Unable to be there for my husband was a major challenge in letting go. Our boys, Benjamin and Andrew, came home from Atlanta and alternated each night between UAB's trauma unit with dad and chemo-exhausted mom at home. With multiple broken bones, Ben needed several surgeries and lots of rehab. Weeks later, he returned home with use of only one limb and spent three months in a wheelchair, unable to bear weight on his many broken bones. And while our circumstances seemed to grow more dire, God grew larger and larger. Perhaps like the character Much Afraid in Hind's Feet, we were coming to understand that the Father uses moments and seasons of brokenness to show us our true condition. We were experiencing what writer and speaker Catherine Wolfe meant when she said, perhaps some detours aren't detours at all. Perhaps they are actually the path, the picture, the plan. And perhaps most unexpectedly, they can be perfect. I longed for the faith to fully embrace that truth. There were so many redemptive threads woven through our days. One was watching our boys step into manhood through their physical, relational, and emotional presence in the messiness of our lives. Another beautiful thread was seeing how the Father moved His people to do very specific things. This showed up in the form of encounters that might appear mundane in everyday life but come to us in very personal ways. We called these gifts daily manna. To us, it was clear that the manna was unmistakably given by the Father. They were usually tangible things that we desired or needed that showed up at just the right time, like yard work and Savage's ham biscuits and a Christmas tree secured in the stand and a faulty furnace repaired on a cold day and a wheelchair ramp installed by friends. We were coming to see that God cares for so many small things, which are mostly unnoticed, like hair and birds. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Matthew ten twenty nine and 30. If God counts the hairs on our head, then surely he cares for us when all of our hair is gone. If he's good enough to care for a fallen sparrow, then surely he cares when one of his children fall to the ground. Almost daily, he used simple truths and simple people in our local faith family to show us that he sees, he knows, he forgets not. There are too many stories to tell of how God surrounded us with his people. Anytime we were tempted to feel alone, someone texted or came by. One of my favorite memories is that of precious Thomas and Lila Franklin appearing at our doorstep with a get well poster. When I answered the door, Thomas said, 
Hey, Miss Sally, how's your cancer doing? (laughs) I had to laugh at his innocence of asking a 53-year-old woman, where is it anyway? (laughs) After chemo ended and Ben was out of the wheelchair, I faced phase two of my treatment journey. As far as we knew, the cancer was confined to one side, so our medical team presented us with various surgical options. I've never liked the idea of surgeons giving me a choice. However, this decision seemed rather straightforward. I fully recognized that my decision would bring an additional loss of femininity. However, wanting to be as aggressive as possible, I opted for a double mastectomy. Ben was in full agreement, and we never wavered on this decision. My surgery was long as it involved removal of my breast tissue along with the initial preparation for reconstruction which would come much later. Close friends rallied by my side once again and even spent nights with me when Ben needed to travel. The final phase of treatment came with six weeks of radiation, five days a week. At this point, I remember being very tired. I also remember that the Lord continued to lift my head. With every trip to the Bruno Cancer Center, I became increasingly aware that I was one of the healthiest people there. The encouragement to press on came in many forms, like a hug from a parking lot attendant and conversations with other patients. The manna was always there, just enough to meet the need for the day. This past August, I reached the four-year anniversary of my cancer diagnosis. I continued to be followed by several physicians and take oral medications to inhibit potential recurrence. Ben has completely recovered from his fall. Before cancer, I had little experience with anxiety. However, my faith had never faced it. Today, my new normal includes moments of courage and faith, followed by moments of fear and doubt. Is this really over? Is that pain in my side a recurrence? I so wish to tie a bow on cancer and declare it over and done. However, if I've learned anything from this journey, it is that we don't get to write our own stories. Even still, I find comfort because he sees, he knows, he forgets not. Learning to graciously receive is a struggle for me. Over the past four years, a few layers of my self-sufficiency have been peeled away, and I'm coming to understand how weak I really am. God used cancer to disrupt my carefully crafted, though very fragile, equilibrium, leaving me no choice but to conclude that it's all of grace. What is my only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong in both body and soul and in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Question and answer number one from the Heidelberg Catechism. Mine is but one example, and I know there are others here today who have been through devastating seasons of hopelessness. They come to all of us. And while I hope to live many more years, This is not a promise God has made to me, nor does he owe me a long life. He has been faithful in the past, and he will be faithful in the future. My role is to trust him day by day in the present. My desire is to better reflect his kindness and to give myself in intentional ways to those he brings across my path. And I hope when I face another season of suffering, I will do so as Pastor Don Carson has encouraged. Until the final curtain drops, however, we live in all kinds of ambiguities 
where we do not know the mind of God, and we dare not act as if God owes us detailed explanations. There are times when the godliest thing we can do is say with Job, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job 13, 15. God wants our trust even more than he wants our understanding. Thank you. At the end of her story, one thing that Sally said that just stuck out to me was that God wants our trust more than he wants our understanding. I thought that was just such an important truth for us to remember. But even going back to this concept of manna that I mentioned at the beginning of her story, you know, a friend of mine told me one time, and I've shared this before when I actually shared my story, and I've probably said it before in our discussions, but I think it's worth repeating is that God gives us enough faith for our present reality and not our imaginations. So often we play those movies in our head where we say, well, what if this happens? Or we worry ahead about something that has not happened, and God is not going to give you faith for your imagination, just understanding, as Sally reiterated, that he's going to give you just what you need just for today and to live in that present moment of, of trust and faith, really. And, and looking for God to show up. I mean, I loved how she walked out of her appointment when she learned about her ca- her cancer and the Lord right then and there gave her a beautiful rainbow. And he was just whispering, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. And and she kept repeating you know, he sees, he knows, yes. he forgets not. And so it's just that constant reminder, I am with you. And then secondly, her breast cancer journey made me reflect back to mine, the Tata fairies, uh, <laughs> the, the importance of community, people that came and, and put scripture on her mirror. Mm-hmm. I had a good friend do that uh, for me because it is hard those first couple of those weeks when, yeah. when you're transitioning. I had a Baba Booby party, um, <laughs> which, no which was, it was so fun, but it is all about how you approach things and that the Lord can go with you and, and that he uses other people to surround you, to remind him. And then the community, her neighbors that were mm-hmm. there when Ben, her husband um, had fallen. It was just a good reminder to me to be there for other people and and live in community mm-hmm. with others. Yeah, and just what a what a difference that makes. We hear that in stories all the time, the difference community, community. makes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um you know, you were just mentioning her husband's fall and as well, I think, you know, it's so easy for us when we're going through something difficult to be like, well, that's it. We're, I'm, I'm walking through breast cancer right now. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. That's all I can Don't handle. Don't anymore. Done. And then they have a really mm. serious accident in the throes of that. And I think everyone's natural tendency is like, well, God, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Lord, where on earth are you in this? And she was just so beautiful and explaining, going back to your definition of manna, Katie, from the very beginning and talking about trust versus understanding. I don't think there's much understanding mm-hmm. when you're walking through two very difficult trials simultaneously, right. but God gives you enough for one day. Right. Because when you look ahead three months, you fall apart. Okay. It's very overwhelming. Yeah. But and when I, you can stay in the moment. Yeah. And I think Sally was able to even look back today and see how God did work yes. in that yes. as as you know her boys stepped family, in yes. and he grew them yeah. through the yeah. process exactly. as well. I don't know about y'all, but I want to order Heinz feet on high places. You yes. mentioned you read it a couple of years ago, I, but I, I want to order it. We've linked ago. it in the show notes. It's definitely one of those books that you can go back to over I mean I think it was written 
I don't even know when, a yes, very, like very long ago. time ago. Yes. And it's a small little book that you can go back to over and over. Thank you so much for listening today. If you have walked through breast cancer, if you have someone in your life who has, this is a great story to share of encouragement, you know, and just God meeting you in those places. So feel free to share it with a friend, to post online and tag us at Storytellers Live Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.